Would you please turn with me to your study outlines, and as you're turning, let me welcome those of you that are joining us online, as well as our friends at Purpose Church in Kalispell, Montana, and also our friends at Baptist Community Church in Arco, Idaho. We are so glad uh, that you're joining us today for our study of God's Word. We're continuing our fall series on the parables of Jesus, and today we're going to look at the parable of the bags of gold, or it's also called the parable of the talents, and we're going to call this message investments. Okay, let's break it down verse by verse. Matthew 25, starting in verse 14. Again, it would be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted, who, who, who entrusted, who passed over, who gave as a stewardship his, his wealth, it's his wealth, and he entrusts it uh, to them. Verse 15, to one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags and to another one bag, each according to his ability, then he went on his journey. Let's hold it there on verse 15 uh, for just a moment. Uh, these bags of gold, it used to be called in some translations, a talent, which was a, a monetary denomination, uh, like a dollar, you, you would say, or it was much more than a dollar, it was a large amount of money. And over time, because Christians began to use this, when Jesus originally taught it, he was talking about finances, but then we began to expand it uh, to abilities and to saying everything is a stewardship from God. Not just our finances, but the talents that we have. Well, there again, we started using the word talent, uh, the abilities. And so it'd be kind of like saying uh, you, are, you have a really good dollar uh, for throwing a fastball, or you really have a good dollar, uh, you really have a dollar uh, for gardening. And so after a while, dollar uh, talent became a name for ability. And so now we expand it, and that's where we got the word talent from. Now the actual monetary denomination, a talent, back in Jesus' day, was a large amount of money. It was about 20 years of a day laborer's wage. 20 years of a day laborer's wage. So about $340,000 at California minimum wage. Uh, five bags would have been uh, $1.7 million in uh, California minimum wage. Uh, two bags would be $680,000. So there's a large amount of money. And it says that he gave it to them each according to his ability. God doesn't give us more than we can handle because that would destroy us. He doesn't give us less than we can handle because that would bore us. And so he gives us enough that we're challenged, but we're not destroyed by it. 70% uh, of lottery winners go broke within five years, go bankrupt within five years. How many of you would like at least to give it a try? You know, I'd like to, you know, let's just give that a shot. Uh, that actual, people debate about that number, but the number they don't debate about is that if you win the lottery, statistically, you are more likely to declare bankruptcy in the next three to five years as the average American. So winning the lottery actually increases your chances of declaring bankruptcy in the next three to five years. Now, what's interesting that we're going to see here is that even though he give, gave them different amounts, uh, they will receive equal praise from God, at least the ones of five bags and two bags. And I love that. Because that, what that tells me is sometimes you think, well, I can never do as much for God as so-and-so. And you think of great people like Mother Teresa or Billy Graham. And I can never go. You know what? You, everybody in this room, everybody watching online, everybody listening later on by podcast has the same ability as so-called Christians that have done a great deal for the kingdom of God. You have the same ability to receive just as much praise as they did. 
Because it says, because you, we're going to see in a moment that the praise was equal for both of them. The key is not how much you get. The key is how faithful you are with what you get. It's not where you finish life. It's where you finish life compared to where you started life. And you all know I love to preach on this. For those of you uh, that have gone through some hard times, and some of you had a tough start in life, and some of you had a difficult beginning, and some of you have had some major challenges, health challenges, or challenges within your family life, or financial challenges. There, there's been some major challenges with, within your life. Uh, do you know that God is going to praise you, not on how far you got, but how far you got compared to where you started from in spite of your circumstances. One of my favorite analogies on this is of Chinese, female Chinese Olympic divers. Because when they dive, sometimes their dives don't look as clean as the other divers from around the world. And yet they get a higher score. Why? Because the dives they attempt have a higher degree of difficulty. So the judges, the Olympic judges, take their score and multiply it by 1.5 or 1.6 or 1.7 rather than just take it as it is because their degree of difficulty was harder. And I believe that is exactly the same thing that's going to happen for you. God, for some of you, just to get yourself out of bed this morning and to get here, uh, because of certain struggles within your life. And then to, after you're done here, to go over to children's ministry and to serve in children's ministry. I mean, that takes everything within you. And you are going to be praised by God just as much as some of these so-called well-known Christians like Billy Graham or, or Mother Teresa or some others like that. Because God is going to uh, praise you, just like this master did. They're going to get equal praise regardless of how much they were given because they were faithful with what they were given. Now, this is not talking about salvation. You don't earn your salvation. We've seen in other pro, uh, parables that we've looked at uh, that it is by grace and grace alone that we enter into God's family. But once you become a follower of Christ, now there is nothing wrong with working as hard as you can to gain reward. You say, oh, Glenn, that sounds unspiritual. I know, and as much as possible, we ought to serve Jesus just because we love Jesus and because of all he did for us. But there are some days when you need a little bit more than that. Anybody want to say amen? Sometimes you're getting beat up in life. Sometimes you're getting beaten down in life. Sometimes it is hard to follow Jesus. And there is nothing unspiritual with saying, you know what, Jesus, I love you, but today I need a little bit something more. And so I am serving you today for the reward. It said that even Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. Uh, our daughter, Abby, um, uh, one of her mentors was Gail Gooch. Gail was up here a couple of weeks ago, the founder of Purple Hearts uh, Ministry that's had such a tremendous run for the last 20 years. And Gail used to have this phrase she would say to Abby, and it became a family phrase for us as well. And the phrase was this, that's why they call it a job. That sometimes when you have one of those days at work, and I hope you're in a job where a certain percentage of it you, you enjoy but there's a certain percentage of any job that you don't enjoy as much. I mean, I will admit to you, 90% of my job here at the church, I have the best job in the world. And I would do it for free. Don't tell any of the trustees that. But I would, I would do it for free. You should pay me only about a tenth of what you pay me. Because 90% of it is just it's, it's a joy. But there's 10% of it where that's why they call it a job. And that's why you get a paycheck. 
uh, for that particular thing. One of the pastor's uh, spouses loved me here at our church because I taught him something that I think my mentor taught me. And that is whenever you get extra money for a wedding or a funeral, you walk in the door and you hand it to your spouse. And let me tell you why I do that with Kimberly, okay? Because there's a little bit of annoyance to be gone for half of a Saturday or something like that. But when you walk in the door and hand her a $100 bill, that annoyance disappears, all right? It just goes away. And, and, and there's something about reward that we need it. And there's nothing wrong with saying, I'm going to work hard with all my heart out of gratitude for what Jesus did for me on the cross. But in those hard days, I am also serving him because there is a tangible reward that will be waiting for me someday. And that is a perfectly okay um, motivation. Chris Brown, who was our former high school pastor, he has this sermon called Chicks and Bucks. And I always remember this sermon. Because he talked about David goes out against Goliath. And he says, I come against you in the, in the name of the Lord God. And you have dishonored his name. And so I'm going to kill you. Very good motivations. But then right before he goes out, he turns to somebody. He says, by the way, what will be done for the one that kills this enemy? And they said, well, chicks and bucks. You get the king's daughter in, in, in marriage. Okay, chicks. Uh, you get free taxation for your family. No more taxes for the rest of your lifetime. And you get a bunch of money. He goes, I'm good with that. Yay, God's honor. But I like the chicks and the bucks as well. They go along with it. And so, and so there's nothing wrong with that sense of there's a reward at the end. Um, something I never saw until this week, Luke chapter 19. Uh, write that down there in your study notes. That there's a different parable that Luke talks about in Luke chapter 19. And it's similar but has some very interesting um, uh, differences uh, between it. There are 10 servants, not three servants, and they get a lesser amount of money, not a talent, which is a lot of money, but a, a, it's called a mina, M-I-N-A, which is about three months of wages, uh, about $4,000 compared to the large amounts of the talent. And they each get the same amount to begin in, but they get a different reward based on what they did with their mina. And their reward is greater responsibility. The one guy takes his mina and multiplies it to 10. So he said, I'll give you a responsibility for 10 of the cities of my kingdom. And then another one um, is, uh, takes his mina and multiplies it and gets five. And I'm going to put you in charge of five cities within my kingdom. And so it gives us the idea that heaven is a place of productivity and adventure. I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, and, they, and I got the idea that heaven was going to be strumming on a harp on a cloud for eternity. That was demotivational for me. I was like, are there any other options out there? And the other one wasn't good. And so I said, okay, I'll stick with that one. But I mean, I, don't get me wrong, you in the orchestra, I, I love orchestral music, I love harp music. But playing a harp for eternity on a cloud, I'm also afraid of heights. And so that was not a good thing either. And so I just thought, oh my goodness, that is, I don't believe that's what heaven is. I believe whatever you love doing now, is what you're going to do for eternity. Whatever you get a sense of accomplishment and fulfillment with, I believe that heaven is going to be a place of great productivity and adventure. I'm not kidding when I say this. My idea of heaven is that, say, say I'm faithful enough to get two minas out of one mina, okay? Not one of the big ones, but let's just say two. I think God's going to give me charge of two galaxies within the universe and I'm going to spend the rest of eternity as captain of the USS Enterprise exploring those galaxies. 
And I'm not kidding. I, I, I actually uh, believe that that's going to be heaven uh, for me. Get to be Captain Kirk for eternity. How awesome would that be? Uh, let's pick it up before I go too far off here. Okay, verse 16. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once. I love that. There's a sense of urgency. I mean, how many of you, the longer life goes on, the more you realize life is short. You know what? When you want to serve God, don't put it off to another time. And I know it's, it's easy to do that. My goodness, life is so busy that you just keep saying, well, when this happens, or when this happens, when this happens. He, he went at once and put his money to work. Put it to work. He began to work. We're, we're not saved by works, but we're saved to work. And so at once he begins to put uh, that money to work, and he gets two bags uh, more. Verse 17, so also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. This is the way that you protected money back then. As a matter of fact, archaeologists today, when they're digging through the Middle East, they, uh, through this Palestine, this area, they will find little caches of cash or, or money that's been hidden uh, in this way, like this man did this. Uh, verse 19, picking up with verse 19. After a long time, you know, that gives us a hint. And, and Jesus could come back at any moment. Do you know there are no further prophecies that need to be fulfilled for Christ to come back? He could come back before I finish this sentence. And yet we shouldn't be discouraged and think he's never coming back just because it's been a long time because this gives us a hint that it could be a long time. And Peter writes, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts, did an audit um, with them. Uh, verse 20, the man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you've entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained uh, five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things, I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Two parts of the reward. One is greater responsibility, more galaxies to explore on the enterprise. Greater responsibility. The second is joy. Can you imagine the joy of knowing that you ran the best race you could and you're not perfect, not a perfect race. Oh my goodness, we fall down and, and we confess and we get back up again. I'm not talking about perfection, but I'm talking about effort. I'm talking about all in. Can you imagine the joy of celebrating with Jesus as you hear him say, well done, a good and faithful servant. Uh, verse 22. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Now let's just hold it. Can we just go back to verse 23? Just one. Does that sound familiar? It's exactly what was said to the five bag person. And that tells me that every one of us within this room have the same opportunity as certain people that we think of as superstar Christians we can hear the same thing they hear because it's not about where we end up. It's where we end up based on where we started and it's based on what we were entrusted with, the degree of faithfulness, how faithful were we with what was entrusted uh, to us. Okay, now we go to verse 24. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came, master, he said. Now he says master, 
but he has a different view of the master than the other two. The master is not somebody to be loved and out of love to do your best for. The master is somebody to be feared. The master is somebody to be resented. The master is all about himself. He's not about blessing him. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered the seed. So I was afraid because he had a wrong view of the master. And this is why it's very important to fix our view of God. Every one of us kind of start with a certain view of God. And I know some psychologists believe it's, it's based on your relationship with your parents, particularly your father. And if your father was a hard, difficult man like he talks about here, you, your image of God will be that. If, you're, if your father was a pushover, if your father was absent, that will be your starting point for your view of God. And so you've got to adjust it to reality based on God's word. The more you spend time in here, the more you get an accurate view of God. And an accurate view of God will lead to an accurate attitude towards God, which will lead to an accurate action from God. So I was afraid because he had a wrong view of the master. And went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Now this whole thing about you're a man that reaps where he hasn't sown. I, I've always struggled with that, and it's, and it's a difficult phrase, but, but you know, the, I think the best, most helpful one for me is a Bible scholar named D.A. Carson, and I love what he wrote about this. This I have found the most helpful. The servant is saying that the master is exploiting the labor of others. That is, the master is just into having these servants serve him because he wants to be served. Should he take the risk of trying to increase the one talent entrusted to him, he would see little of the profit. Well, I'm going to serve God, but there's not much in it for me. If he failed and lost everything, he would incur the master's wrath. Perhaps, too, he is irritated at having been giving much less than the other two. So in a spiteful act, he returns to his master what belongs to him, no more and no less. You see, I think the difference here is that the other two servants, the two bags of gold and the five bags of gold, they had a one-two attitude. Out of what the master has done for me, hanging on the cross, after what Jesus has done for me, I want to serve him. This servant had a have-to. Well, I guess I have to. He's the master. I, I, I guess I, I have to do it. He doesn't love the master. So instead of operating from a one-two, he operates from a have-to. He blames him for his situation in life and excuses himself. And people do that today. They shake their fist at God for their circumstances in life. And, and they, they blame him for their situation and they excuse ourselves because after all, look, I've been dealt a difficult hand in life. Instead of saying, I will take whatever hand in life I've been dealt and I will use that to the best of my ability faithfully serving the one who created me, who died on the cross for me. Verse 26, his master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers. In the original Greek, this word is trapezio, uh, which means table. Because the early bankers would put a table out. If you go to Greece today, you'll see trapezio on the banks. That's what they're called, trapezio, table. Because the early um, uh, bankers, uh, money changers, they would put a table out. They'd sit behind it and they'd loan out money or they would exchange money. And so it says, on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. 
I, I, I love that phrase, interest. In the original Greek, that word interest literally means offspring. Your money has offspring. So he said you could have at least given it to the bankers so that it would have some interest on it when I returned or have some offspring. Let me ask you a question. What offspring do your finances have? Um, is your checkbook a give a good view of, of what offspring um, you, you have? Does, does, it, does it tell a picture of what the offspring of your finances is? Uh, does it give an accurate picture? How about your abilities, your talents, um, your resources? What kind of eternal offspring is your time, your talents, your abilities, uh, even your finances? What kind of interest, what kind of offspring is it bearing? Verse 28. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have, will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You say, wait a minute, Glenn. Are you saying he goes to hell because he doesn't serve the Lord? That sounds like work salvation, that you earn your salvation. No. Remember we've seen in the other parables that it's by grace and grace alone that we're saved. And we saw in last Sunday's parable, we don't work to be saved but once we're saved, we work. We don't work to be saved, but once we are saved, we work. We are saved to serve. Serving God is the natural result of a life that has been redeemed. One of our core values here at Purpose Church is that everyone is designed to serve. Uh, Paul wrote a letter to a group of followers of Christ in the city of Rome 2,000 years ago. And the first 11 chapters of that letter to the Romans is all about their salvation, how they are saved and how they can be saved. But then in verse 12, verse 1, he pivots. Therefore, as a result of being redeemed and saved, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Uh, now, I want to talk uh, for the rest of our time to those of you who think that you're just a one-bag-of-gold person or a one-talent person. And if you've ever felt that you're just a one-bag-of-gold, a one-talent person, you're here by God's invitation to hear what I want to say to you right now. Or you're watching online or in Kalispell or in Arco or, or listening on a podcast later. It's not an accident you're, you're here this right now. God invited you to hear this if you've ever thought you're just a one bag of gold person or a one talent person. You are a bigger deal than you think you are. You're more important to the cause of Christ than you think you are. You are more essential to God's master plan for the history of the universe than you realize. As a matter of fact, turn to the person next to you and say this to them, you are a big deal. Right now, just turn to the person next to you and say, you are a big deal. Now, don't feel bad if you've ever felt that you're not a big deal because even Mother Teresa felt that way. Mother Teresa says, we ourselves feel that what we are doing is just a drop in the ocean. Mother Teresa thought what she was doing was just a drop of the ocean. You know, compared to the need in the world, it kind of was. And what we do is just a drop in the ocean. 
but the ocean would be less because of that missing drop. Uh, Helen Keller writes, true happiness is not attained through self-gratification, but through fidelity to a worthy purpose. Uh, I hope you uh, got a jigsaw puzzle piece when you came in. Do you guys have that? Could you hold that up if you got those? Did those get passed out? And please forgive me. If you didn't get one, grab one before you go home as kind of a reminder of this message. Your piece is a part of this picture right here. This is what it's a piece of. And so on the count of three, I'm going to have us run together for 20 minutes and just put it, to, uh, put it together right there. Um, now let me ask you a question. We're all friends here. We're all in the same therapy group session together, okay? How many of you, it really bugs you if you see a jigsaw puzzle put together and there's one piece missing? How many of you? Oh, oh, the neurosis within us arises, okay. Do you know that bugs God too? Your one piece is essential to the picture that God wants to present to the world. You may feel like you're a one puzzle piece person, but that piece is, at, it won't be complete if it's not there. Now, just a little aside, and then we'll keep going. Um, how many of you like doing jigsaw puzzles? Let me see your hands. Okay, don't raise your hand on the next one. How, how many of you know somebody who likes doing jigsaw puzzles, but you don't like that person very much? Okay. <laughs> I've got the perfect Christmas gift idea for you. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a Japanese puzzle with a thousand pieces, and it's all white, all right? So you have to find the pieces based on the shape, not on, on the picture behind it. So if you've got somebody that likes jigsaw puzzles and they annoy you, this is the way to annoy them back. You, you will drive them crazy. Your piece... Your piece of God's purpose and plan, it matters. And we need to pursue it with great perseverance. Um, I, I love the story of Pioneer 10. Uh, it was launched in 1972. Its goal was Jupiter, which was considered bold at the time because no Earth satellite had ever gone um, beyond uh, Mars because they thought the asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter, it would be destroyed. And so they thought it could never get beyond Mars. It went right past the asteroid belt, right past Jupiter in a year. At one billion miles from the sun, it passed Saturn. At two billion miles, it went past Uranus. Neptune at three billion. Pluto at four billion. By 1997, it was more than six billion miles from the sun. Radio communications were finally lost on January 23rd uh, 2003, and it will become the first artificial object to gain enough velocity to leave the gravitational pull of the solar system and to leave the solar system. That's going to be the first thing to ever leave the solar system, except, of course, uh, except, of course, the Enterprise. I mean, duh, duh, I mean, duh, that one will too. Now, the, here's the best part. The signals it was sending back uh, came from an 8-watt transmitter which has about as much power as a bedroom nightlight. And it takes nine hours to reach Earth. Uh, Craig Larson writes, the little satellite that could was not qualified to do what it did. Engineers designed Pioneer 10 with a useful life of just three years, but it kept going and going and going. By simple longevity, its tiny eight-watt transmitter radio accomplished more than anyone thought possible. 
So it is when we offer ourselves to serve the Lord. God can work even through someone with an eight-watt ability. God cannot work, however, through someone who quits. Or I would add, through anyone who buries their talent. Uh, let's bring it a little bit closer to home, okay? Uh, a little bit closer than seven billion. You're like, Glenn, I'm trying to relate to a satellite, but it's just not working for me right now. Let's, let's bring it closer to home uh, than a satellite. And that is our Dress a Girl Around the World Sewing Ministry. They just hit 3,000 dresses on Tuesday. Started this ministry, I know, is that great? Uh, they started this ministry here at Purpose Church in 2012, reached 1,000 dresses in 2016, reached 2,000 dresses in 2018, and now 3,000 dresses in 2019. Uh, it sounds like the satellite passing planets, doesn't it? Uh, and Talithia, if I'm doing my math right on this, it, they took four years to reach their first 1,000, two years to reach their second 1,000, and uh, the, the, one year to reach uh, their next uh, thousand. I hope, it, nothing like having math geniuses on the front row, it's, it's really on This year, they've sent 152 dresses to Haiti, 125 to Zimbabwe and Egypt, 40 dresses to an orphanage near the Guatemalan border in Chiapas, Mexico, 110 uh, to Operation uh, Christmas Child, and by the way, you can go out there and get your Christmas box for Operation Christmas Child. You can get in on this. 240 dresses to Uganda. Uh, they saw a need, and they asked, what do we do well? And then they said, we can sew. Now let me ask you, what needs do you see, and what do you do? Well, what do you enjoy doing, or what simply, what is that one thing you can do? Do it like the wind. Okay, I'm laying a trap. Everybody pull out their volunteer opportunities card from within uh, the program. Is there anything on the front or the back that you can do? Is there anything on there? I don't think sewing's on there, but there are costumes. There might be something on sewing on there. Um, uh, do that thing like the wind. Or let me give you another idea. If, if you're just struggling with how to figure out exactly how and where to serve here at Purpose Church, uh, come to our welcome luncheon today. And after it's over, we pastors would just love to talk to you one-on-one -on -one to figure out where and how you could best serve.